I'd like to begin this morning, I'd like to uh, read a few profound and significant thoughts from the philosophical work. And I know I don't normally go that direction in a sermon, but we're going to do that because uh, these words capture life. So, here we go. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring, I still have mine, in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Have you ever had one of those days where you wish you hadn't got up because absolutely nothing seems to go right and you get mad at the whole world? You started out with a smile, anticipating another amazing day in Hoover, and then the car wouldn't start or it ran out of gas. The kids were sick or the dog barked on the carpet. You even regretted getting up. How many have done that? The rest of you, it'll happen, guarantee it. Our friend Jonah had a few of those bad days, those very bad, no good days. And he was sure it was all of God's fault that he was having those days. Jonah had preached a scorcher of a salvation message. And the city of Nineveh had responded. They experienced a top-to-bottom citywide revival. Everybody repented of their sins, and God forgave every one of them. The God of second chances had come through again. Sinners would live to sin another day. And that ruined Jonah's day. Go figure. We read in Jonah, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, But Jonah, after all of that, but Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The prophet Jonah was ticked at God. He was greatly displeased, the passage tell us. He became angry because God did what God does, a God thing. He forgave sinners. Jonah's prayer, his diatribe, in verse 2, is very revealing. He knew God's character. He knew God. 
that He is gracious and compassionate, that He understood what that meant. He knew that He was slow to anger, and He knew what that meant and what it could look like. And He was abounding in love, the full depth of love. Now, those are good reasons to be angry with God, aren't they? Well, maybe not. But that was reason enough for him to run away from God because he was tempted. Jonah wasn't going to take this lying down, this being angry with God. He wasn't going to unless he could die, and then you lie down for that. He said, now, Lord, just take away my life. If I can't have it my way, just let me die. Now, a side note here. Some of you are, are hearing these words from Jonah, and you're thinking things like, well, this has nothing to do with me. Um, I, I doubt that I could be unhappy with God. This is a Bible story, Les, that just doesn't seem to overlap my life. I, I just can't relate. Everything is peaches and pumpkin pie. Or whatever pie you want. Maybe. But, but have you ever thought, where's the cop when we need one? That guy needs a ticket. I hope those people get what they deserve. I don't think I want to be in a heaven with that guy. Should I press this a little further, or are you with me? You understand what Jonah was experiencing here as he was recognizing that this wasn't what he wanted. He knew this is what he was supposed to do, but this wasn't what he wanted. He was told to paint the barn red, and it turned out red, but he really wanted blue. That was how opposite what happened was to what he was sent to do and what he expected to come out of it. And I know I have been guilty of these kind of things, of wanting justice for that person because they broke the rule that I got caught breaking earlier. I, you know, I, I know what that like to feel there. And this is where Jonah was hanging out. On the other side was profound miracles, changing lives of an entire city, which would lead an entire nation. So let's review a little bit. Jonah had run away from the Lord. He had left from Joppa, and he headed to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh, where he was supposed to go. And he ended up fish food and hung out in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And then he was buffed up onto the ground. Jonah experienced, and he also proved that sin blinds the eye of the soul. It makes other sinful choices easy to do. Because sin blocks the sensibility of our mind, which distances our heart and our soul and our mind so that we don't make wise choices. And it separates us from God, leaving us to do life on our own. And if we're honest, we ain't that good at it. Choosing sin often begins this downward spiral that can lead to despair, further sin, loss and pain, alienation from other sinners who are equally like us. And this is exactly what happened to Jonah. Notice verse 4. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? 
Jonah went out and he sat down in a place east of the city where he had made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a vine, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. Grace, even for the hard-hearted Jonah. Now, verse 7, but at that dawn, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine, so did it wither. And when the sun rose, God provided the scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I hope you agree with me that he should have been, but wasn't very thankful. And so we have this dynamic. Jonah goes into the city of Nineveh. It's a three-day adventure to see the sights, as I said the other day. And he began to preach the word of the Lord to the people, calling them to repentance from their sin. And as he did that and was working his way through the city, we've read in the text that the people responded. They took off their clothes, they put on sackcloth, they sat on the ground. And that was from the person on the street who heard, and all the way to the king who heard through the grapevine that this was going on. And Jonah, after he had done what he was supposed to do, went outside of the city. And I have no idea which side of the city he was on, other than it says a direction, but direction counts. I don't know. But he, he found a perch where he could watch the city. And he built some kind of shelter so that he wouldn't bake in the sun. And he sat there waiting to see what would happen to the city. God spoke to Jonah in his sin. And he spoke to help him. We read in verse 4, Have you any right to be angry? Now, for the prophet, this was a profound question because he had been launched on a mission to right people, to take them from where they were to where they could be in a relationship with God that would include blessings that come from God. Do you have any right to be angry? Now, what I want to share next are a couple of things that I think Jonah probably knew which fed into his anger. Besides just being ticked at the nation and not happy with God. I think Jonah knew that God had plans to use the Assyrian people, and that would be Nineveh and the nation that went with Nineveh, to punish sinning Israel. Jonah knew that. He had earlier contact with the Assyrians and with the king of Israel about their sin, and he knew what was coming down the road, and he could see this. And I believe he knew that. And because this nation had already been a, a problem for the nation of Israel, had caused them pain, and had tormented them with violence and suffering, well, if Nineveh was, was gone, destroyed, maybe then the further pain would stop. And so I think that's part of what he was thinking, but that's not good enough reason to just obey God. Jonah also knew God's word, once spoken, became the new reality. So as he was proclaiming the word of God, he knew in his heart and in his mind that God's word does not fall on the ground and lay there. It is productive. God never fails to carry out his intentions, and forgiving a brutal nation would definitely fit the heart and mind of a loving God, 
but it definitely didn't fit the, the mind and heart of angry Jonah. So he knew about the punishment that they might bring. He knew that God's word would probably come true and what he didn't want to happen would happen. But he also knew that God forgives. He actually forgives everyone who repents, whether you like them or not. That's an expression of the very nature of God. That's what he does. That's why he moved heaven and earth to bring Jesus to a cross for you and me. But probably not part of Jonah's nature. So Jonah knew those things, and that said how he responded. And so when he ran away from his assignment, he was actually thinking, he was acting on behalf of the nation of Israel, his people. His act of defiance, of disobedience to God, and to not want to preach to the Ninevites would actually protect the Israelites from pain. And that, in his mind, was a greater good than obeying God. What Jonah essentially had done is he had placed politics before salvation. He had placed the good of his nation before the good of everyone else. He preferred Israel's interests over the lives of the innocent Gentiles. And we know that in any group like this, a city that large, they all were guilty of the crimes that he thought that they needed to be punished for. There's always innocence. He preferred a really good hatred rather than preaching about God's love. He preferred to disobey God than to do anything to help them. You always know you're in trouble when it's those people or them, because we've cut them off. And as we read, we watch Jonah. He spirals in his sin and his anger to despair and resignation, ignoring his noble calling in life, choosing to be willing to set his life aside. I would rather die than see them have what you have. Now, before we totally trash Jonah, this is not uncommon behavior for humans. Any one of us could take this same dive, allowing circumstances to feed our anger, driving irrational behavior. Sin. Jonah, as we've read, literally walked into a storm, risked his life, risked the lives of other people, risked the finances of the shipping company. He spoke of his own death as if it was nothing at all. Just let me die. I'm sure God has something other in mind, as he is the one who breathes life into each one of us. And he sees all of our lives as precious. But Jonah also wobbled in his prophet's heart. He was eager for the death of thousands of people. He was bemoaning the likely expressions of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. It wasn't that he just was willing to lay down his life to get his own way, but he had stepped away from his high calling as a prophet. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a pastor. I don't have that high calling. My friends, each of us has a high calling that matches the price that Jesus paid to call us. 
love your neighbor, to share the gospel, to share your breakfast cereal, to share your pancakes and your pasta. That, my friends, is a high calling. And it fits in the category of where Jonah would not have wanted to be. But in this cycle of sinful choices, Jonah disobeyed God knowing he had disobeyed God. And then when he obeyed, he did so grudgingly. And then three days, three nights later, did what he was supposed to do, but not because he wanted to. Jonah was actually repulsed by God's love, by God's compassion on these people. And he allowed himself to become as worthy as Syrians, not caring about others. So he became like the enemy so that he might defeat the enemy. And in the end, he And God won. And the Assyrians won. But not Jonah. My friends, you and I could easily go there. We could easily be like Jonah. We could easily allow our own selfish anger to get out of control, to intensify, and even allow us to harm others, even if it's by withholding our prayers for them. Our friend Jonah had become one big mess, a perfect example of selfish anger out of control. His anger had intensified with time. And you read through the passages of this book, you find that it got worse and worse. And he's distancing himself from God. He's distancing himself from what he knew was the right thing to have happen there. As we walk through chapters 1 through 3, we see his call. It was an obvious call. We see his flight. It was a deliberate flight. We see his capture as the fish swallowed him. And then his release as it tossed him back up on the ground. And then there was his second call, his preaching and the repentance. You see, that was God's path. It wasn't what Jonah wanted. And Jonah had become very, very angry with God. And it got worse as we moved through chapter 4. There was the scorching sun. There was a vine that God provided to help provide cover for him. And then the shade. And he was happy for a moment. But then there was the worm, the dead vine, the wind, the heat, his discomfort, which again fueled his anger. And he simmered with rage, blossoming into a hate sense. I once read a bumper sticker. It said, sometimes you're the bug, and sometimes you're the... You've seen it too. I think Jonah was living this out in his daily life at this point. And the question is, would God squash the bug named Jonah? Of course not. God is a God of love. And even in his sin, God would love the bug named Jonah. Notice verse 9. God's now speaking into Jonah's sin. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it, you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight, it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? It's a 
pretty sizable city, 120,000 people. And they're described as people who don't know. They're spiritually un... They're spiritually dead. I don't know where I was going with the un. But they were spiritually unable to make decisions for life. And once again, God asked Jonah in verse 9, Do you have a right to be angry? Now, at this point, there's this huge contrast that's obvious between Jonah and God. And I can't stretch my arms far enough to show you how far that contrast is. But Jonah was selfish. He was for himself and he was for the nation of Israel. And that was it. But God was concerned about all lost souls. The contrast. Jonah disobeyed, violating that which is right. But God faithfully offered love and grace and mercy. Jonah became angry. Angry enough to despise of his own life. But God lovingly looked to help his sinning prophet and all the others that he could with his word. And Jonah cared more about a vine that gave shade than he did for a city full of people, men, women, and children. But God, for God so loved the world. Now, lessons can be learned from this little book from the life of Jonah, from his misadventures. We can learn from what he did wrong. We can learn from what we see he should have done right. You see, we already know how easy it is to hate to want the other to suffer a little bit. So let's think about what we should do instead. There are some life lessons, and then I have some ministry lessons. But the life lessons, there are four of them, there's probably more. First one is playing with sin is dangerous. Once caught, we can spiral out of control in our sin, especially if we choose the sin, which is what Jonah did. Playing with sin is dangerous. The first sin is the hardest, or is it the easiest? But once we're caught in it, the next sin often follows in quick pursuit of this downhill journey of the one who chose to sin. And we know downhill is always the easier direction. So, first one, playing with sin is dangerous. Second, there is a kind of life in sin, but it's not the kind of life that we should ever want. Disobedience separates us from God. Disobedience begins an alliance with that which is wrong or evil, and disobedience slowly kills the human soul. Thirdly, obedience to God yields life. God desires that we have the very best, and we should heed God's word and instruction, avoiding identified sin and striving for holiness. That's his desire for us. That's his instructions to us. That's what he's provided through Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. God is not a killjoy. His ideals are for us to have a better life. And sometimes what we think is the better life is closer to what Jonah thought was the better life. And then finally, life lesson, there is a way out of sin. It involves confession of the sin. It involves a repentance from the sin, which yields a second chance. It's what we see in the city of Nineveh. 
as repentance was preached to them, and they responded by turning from their sin, and God gave them a second chance. God always listens to our confessions that we might be rescued from our sin. God is the author of second chances, the author of new beginnings. Our obedience to His Word and will opens our lives to a freedom of living that is not known by those who are caught in sin. Now, in addition to these life lessons, there are also what I call ministry lessons. And what we see in God should be seen in us as we think to do ministry for and with the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, these are big, broad brushstrokes, but they are close enough to the ground that you ought to be able to see how they might apply to your life, my life, our lives as a congregation. First, grace and mercy are to flavor our daily lives and the ministries that we undertake for Jesus. Grace and mercy. Offering others what they do not deserve. Offering others what could be done. Grace and mercy. Secondly, love for our fellow sojourners in life is to be the foundation for our sincere outreach and witness. We want what's best for them. That's loving them. We don't do it because, well, the pastor says we have to do it. We don't do it because God says we have to do it. We do it because we truly love the other person. Grace and mercy, love. Third, selflessness serves others better than a nasty dose of selfishness. We see in Jonah selfishness. Now, it was a large selfishness because it wasn't just for himself. He was selfish for his whole nation. But as far as he was concerned, the rest of the world could go to hell. And he would have been perfectly happy with that because they wouldn't have been messing with his people. But that's not how God is. God loves every person. He wants us to love every person. Fourth, God is interested in all lost people. There are no people groups on this planet that Jesus did have in mind as he hung on the cross. He thought of all of us. And likewise, we should live and witness with that as our design for evangelism. We don't pick and choose out of the crowd. We don't walk to the other side of the street to avoid a person we don't want to bother with. Because every person is worth bothering with. Every person is loved by God and ought to be loved by us. God is interested in all lost people. Five, God's heart breaks for each sinner who dies in their sin outside of His love and grace and mercy. There is no joy in heaven when hell gains a new tenant. And I'm thinking we shouldn't rejoice either. Now, I'm sure there are other lessons that we could learn from this passage there are other life lessons we could learn from the life that Jonah failed to live well. But let me focus it just on us for a moment. How are we like Jonah? How are you like Jonah? How am I like Jonah? And is that a good thing? And if you recognize that it's not, what will be your next step to become more like Jonah?